0: Hey guys, how you doing? We just wanted to ask you to please rate and review us on iTunes and get in touch on the Facebook page. Let's hear back from you.
1: Yeah, it makes such a difference and if there's anybody you think that would benefit from listening to our show, let them know and let us know too. <laughs>
0: bye, enjoy the show. <laughs> Not bye. <laughs> hello this is
1: Joya italiano this
0: is jeff ekman and
1: welcome to oh that's a thing a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies
0: even if you haven't seen the movie don't worry we use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics
1: that's right we're not experts at all we're actually just a couple of goons who googled some stuff but this stuff is pretty cool
0: yeah so sit back relax maybe learn a thing or two here we go
1: here we go I always feel like somebody's watching me,
0: <laughs> and I have
1: no privacy.
0: Who Ooh. who did that song?
1: Oh, God. I think it's like Rockwell. I think his name yeah. is Rockwell, oh, wow. incidentally. Oh, yeah. Wow. Michael Jackson, he did the chorus.
0: Well, we watched the movie The Truman Show, yeah. where people are watching him. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Andrew Nichol, who is, I love his movies. He wrote and directed Gattaca. He's right. Done right, right. A, a handful of others, but... It's directed by Peter Weir, who also did Dead Poets, Society, and Witness, and a bunch of other movies. Cool. And it was nominated for Best Actor for Ed Harris, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. And let's take a listen to the trailer. Let's do it. Coming to you now from the largest studio ever constructed, it's The Truman Show! Yeah! Good morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) What if you were watched every moment of your life? How many cameras you got there in that town? 5,000. I believe Truman is the first child to have been legally adopted by a corporation. That's correct. Brilliant. What if everyone you knew was pretending?
2: Hi, honey. Look what I got at the checkout. Dishwasher safe.
0: (laughs) What if your world was make-believe? Cue the sign.
2: While the world he
0: inhabits
1: is counterfeit, there's nothing fake about Truman himself.
2: What if you didn't know it? Until
0: now. Is he looking at us? Does he think he knows? I think I'm mixed up in something. Something big. Oh. We accept the reality with which we're presented.
2: Truman? Truman! Truman!
0: Anything happen? No. Mm-hmm. You may find yourself in another place It's like the whole world revolves around me. Everybody seems to be in on it. The Truman Show. Watch what happens.
1: I don't feel that trailer accurately depicts at all how delightful that movie is.
0: Yeah, well, it was 98. Yeah. Give whoever edited that a, a break.
1: Well, I was reading about a lot of different changes that were made from from the outset of this film to when it was actually ready. Oh, so yeah. the, the basic story of a man unknowingly being forced to live in an alternate reality is identical to the plot of a 1959 sci-fi novel, Time Out of Joint, by Philip K. Dick.
0: Oh, Philip yeah. K. Dick? Classic Dick. He originated like every sci-fi So much idea. of the
1: Like, yeah, absolutely. But So Paramount was initially cautious about this film, which they dubbed the most expensive art film ever made because oh. it had a $60 million budget. And they wanted it to be funnier and less dramatic because it sounds like Andrew Nichols' original script was very dark, including mm-hmm. a scene where there's a staged rape. Whoa witnessed by Truman and he doesn't go to help the actress and instead just moves on.
0: Whoa. Yeah.
1: And so then when the actors come back to normal, they're all like, why didn't he help that woman? Be So
0: he's clearly like
1: different Truman.
0: That's a fascinating idea. Right.
1: Of like what really truly happens when everybody, and why would they set him up to watch someone be assaulted? It's like they're testing. Yeah. Testing,
0: you know, his, his moral. Yeah. Abilities. Yeah. That's. Well, well, it sounds like, the yeah, because like, I know Groundhog Day is a movie that started out originally way darker is than Is that also Andrew Nichol? No, Uh-oh. but it's just like it's like one of those movies where the original version was like this incredibly dark thing that they wound up like turning a little bit lighter and yeah. turning into like a phenomenon of movie.
1: Now, in some cases, they end up trying to make it light to the detriment of the movie, right. but I think that this was a really awesome uh, balancing act. Yeah, I guess act. that's
0: why I think of Groundhog Day is like, it's like, A a better version of the movie actually is to be a little bit more lighthearted.
1: Totally. So because, like, originally Truman was living in a recreation of New York City... But Weir wanted to change it to an idyllic town so it was less sci-fi and, okay. like, less gritty. Right. So, that's why... So, like, Nickel ended up writing 16 drafts of the script before Weir was like, okay, this is actually finally ready to okay. be filmed. So And he also filmed it in, this, in a certain ratio to make it feel more like a television show. Oh. Like, everything was, you know, television-related was inspiring this mm. movie, including, like... Commercials, of course, like Laura Linney studied Sears catalogs from the '50s heavily to, a, you know, to get her characters poised and yeah, all of sure, that. But was. you had mentioned that this is at the same time as Pleasantville, right?
0: Yeah, I was no- just with the trailer and some of the music they were using. It reminded me of Pleasantville, yeah, a little bit. So this
1: movie was definitely inspired by Norman Rockwell paintings mm-hmm. and 1960s postcards and stuff as well. Totally makes sense. Yeah, and just reminding us that you know in this world everything's for sale. Like right. everything was product placement, which I wanted to kind of look more into this idea of product placement and just, like, advertising in general, mm-hmm. but I didn't because there's just too much lovely schizophrenia stuff to cover. Oh uh, Yeah, well.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I also knew that Jim Carrey was Weir's first choice to play Truman because Weir saw him in Ace Ventura Pet Detective and thought that his his performance was like Charlie Chaplin. So he was like, you're the one.
0: That's so, that, that's so a pretty bizarre. big leap. <laughs> yeah. But totally reasonable on, it, like, it, as the way it turned out.
1: I mean, to me, this was the first real time that we saw the seriousness with which Jim Carrey could act because we this... knew that he was an awesome character performer and whatnot but this to have so much thought and heart and... yeah I
0: think this was the first kind of dramatic turn for him like before this it was just liar liar and stuff like that totally. and then after this it's the majestic yeah. and, and well, man had... on the moon and stuff like that
1: it's funny you say that because they had to push back filming for this movie so that he could film liar liar and like the cable guy from 96 <laughs> so those are totally different like cable well, the guy, cable guy
0: like... actually started getting a little serious because he played this yeah, fucked up true. character But he was
1: still such a caricature of, like, a weirdo that it it was, I mean, even though it was dark, because he was also obsessed with TV. right? Not also, but, like, he was a weird character that was kind of sad and Mm -hmm. blah. I never really
0: made the connection between that and the Truman Show and kind of being, like, the man on the other side of the screen. Totally. Or just, like,
1: being raised bite the television which seems like it's mm-hmm. more of a commentary on just like people watching Truman yeah, you know, like, yeah who are you people yeah I also thought it was cool to hear that that the Trumania bit you know where he draws the soap on the on the mirror and stuff that was all improv in other oh, in another nice. take he'd done like long curly hair and a dress and stuff but so to think like at first we had a difficult time working with Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey's contract allowed him to demand rewrites and stuff oh, but man. once he saw like what an amazing improv actor he was he was like obviously this man's a genius I'm right. gonna let him do everything he wants and like Ed Harris and Jim Carrey never met during filming makes sense obviously but you're like to be such a pot of
0: yeah film. I guess they, they never share a scene together except for at the end when Ed Harris is talking to him through the sun right Like as God, as God. yeah so-
1: Ed Harris originally suggested Kristoff as maybe being a hunchback
2: Okay. Because he was
1: like, obviously, that would cause him to have an unhappy childhood, and would want Truman to have an idealized life because of his oh, deformity. <laughs>
0: but sure,
1: <laughs> sure, that's the reason. But then, of the course, actor's we... got
0: to find his thing. Right. You and know? then he
1: he saw himself with the hunchback on and didn't like the way he looked, so he's like, no, I'm just gonna be a, like,
0: you know, <laughs> he, they went just a as far director. as to like get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, but man. but
1: Peter Weird presented him with a 10-page biography for which Christoph allegedly you know wins a, an award. Oh. He like gave him a 10-page biography about about Kristoff having made a movie about the homeless okay. that Christoph then won an award.
0: And then his next project was, was The Truman, Truman Show. Show. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Nice little backdrop. Yeah. Like, what is the type of person that would want to, you know, take an unknowing child and record them? Raise <laughs> them. Yeah. yeah.
0: And exploit them.
1: Yeah, Siskel and Ebert gave this film two thumbs up, and they not only gave it two thumbs up, but they gave an on-air apology to Jim Carrey for saying that he would never have a career when they panned Ace Ventura, (laughs) Pet Detective.
0: (laughs) That's pretty great.
1: Jim Carrey said that being constantly watched by fans and paparazzi certainly helped him relate to Mm -hmm. Truman. Mm -hmm. Peter Weir said that he also based the movie off of Michael Jackson, whose life was clearly just taken given to the world. Right, yeah. And he had actually wanted, uh, Peter Weir had wanted to have cameras installed in every theater that the movie was shown and then at one point like have the projectionist cut the power, cut to the viewers and then come back to the movie. That's like super meta.
0: really interesting idea. Totally. But uh, yeah, how would that have really, I don't know that that, well they, they must have decided this doesn't work. I, but... I,
1: I feel like it just wouldn't have had the effect that they wanted right, to. Right, right. And the movie... Stands alone right, so well exactly. that it doesn't need you. And also, at the same time, this was at a time when not everybody was on camera all the time. Right. And, and like tracking themselves in this kind Cameras of Cameras hadn't so.
0: miniaturized quite to that point. Exactly.
1: Final point... This film is studied in media ethics courses, particularly focusing on the characters of Christoph Marlon, who's Jim Carrey's best friend, Truman's best friend. Right, right. For just, like, manipulating him the whole time right. and pulling on his heartstrings. And then, of course, Truman's wife, Meryl, mm-hmm. for prostituting herself.
0: <laughs> it's a really weird... Yeah, that's... A lot of ethics. What a line for her character, like, the role that she took.
1: Yeah. When I saw this as a kid, I sort of assumed because they... Obviously, they never showed any affection towards each other. I was mm-hmm. like, "Has she been able to just weasel her way out of any
0: Sexes? sex? Yeah, like sex? like,
1: well, how do they justify they that? Were but they married.
0: don't. But they don't. Like,
1: but they don't." They don't say anything about it. They do it. say. There's
0: I feel like I feel like they, they kind of address it by that moment where like one of the audience members is going like, "You never see anything like the windows, the yeah. curtains blow, and like the, the you know they close the curtains." So it's implied. I think the intention is they do have sex and they don't show the audience. Right. But the, the implication there is also that the entire production crew is watching it happen.
1: Right. 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 You that know It what is I mean? happening. Like it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. She is prostituting herself. Mm-hmm. I mean. The things we do for our art.
0: I mean, you like what is she gonna be like, I have a headache on my wedding night?
1: No, she and for that many years, but yeah. I'm saying like I do not think that it was an explicit No, like, no. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I tried to sidestep that. Right. You know, you were talking about like what's the kind of person who would want to put this person on screen and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And there's actually this documentary series that I've been wanting to see called Seven Up which started in 1964, and it follows a group of British children from a variety of different backgrounds, and it started when they were all seven years old, and then every seven years, there's a new installment of the documentary. Right,
1: I've heard about that.
0: Yeah, so like the second one was called 14 Up, Mm -hmm. and then 21 Up, and now they're up to 56 Up. Wow. And that came out in 2012, and presumably, you know...
1: Coming around the bend. Yeah,
0: 63 Up will come out in 2019 That's presumably awesome. and
1: That is cool because it's from from like an anthropological right. area. I'm just right. seeing like the development of these particular people who mm-hmm. obviously I mean I guess when they were young they didn't really have much choice in the matter but they right. certainly had the choice later on if they wanted to continue participating, right? Yeah, I'm
0: not even sure that all of them did continue participating. But I know that, like, their lives are affected by the fact that the documentary exists and that they're, like, the subjects of it, but Mm. also, like, not to the point where it's not still a fascinating thing. Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, anything, it's, (laughs) I hate to have to bring it to reality TV show now. Mm -hmm. What was it, Ozzy Osbourne had his... Well, yeah, His the family, Osbornes. the, the Osbournes, uh-huh. but then there was the one daughter, Meg, who didn't want anything to do with it. So she was there and had her face blurred out. Right. It's like
0: right. You still
1: you make that choice to maybe not be there, but of course it's going to affect.
0: Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Well, the observation, as we've said, changes the way particles are. And, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> it changes the way humans are. That's right.
1: So according to a 2008 New York Times article, psychologists in Britain in the United States reported a number of people experiencing Truman Syndrome, or mm-hmm. the Truman Show Delusion. This is, of course, the belief that they are the unwitting star of their own reality TV shows.
0: Oh, wait, let me, let me quickly say, this is something that I've like, kind of thought in the back of my mind like, ever since I've star? seen the movie. <laughs> like, not really. And I wonder, too, be- how it affected me, because it was definitely something that, like, I-, I remember when I was a teenager, and I had recently seen this movie, Having a moment where I was like, "I'm alone." It wasn't
1: like, "Am I alone?" Well,
0: yeah, am I? It was. It wasn't exactly this, but it was like I was deciding whether or not I was going to make the right choice about something, and I don't remember what it Uh was, but it was something where it was like, "I'm alone, and I could be a a better person, or I could be a dick," and I wound up being a better person. I think partly. Because I was like, well, if everybody's watching, right. I want to present myself Isn't as a that good person. is funny?
1: That's sort of like it seems like a permutation of doing the right thing because God is watching. Right. right. It, it, it sort is of is, like is a that same idea. That. Maybe and and a lot of the research that I did leads us to how like technology and just like the era affects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these these particular disorders. So let's dive in. It's fucking crazy. I'm ready. Because in September sixteenth, twenty thirteen there was this detailed account of one Ohio student who suffered for years from the Truman Show delusion and it's documented in the New Yorker magazine article Unreality Star by Andrew Oh, And I read this article and who we. So let's start with this Mr. Lotz. So he was he enrolled at Ohio University in the fall of 2007 and he started getting increasingly anxious and he started, you know, he felt like everybody sensed his anxiousness. Hmm. So in order to kind of deal with this, he started going out drinking four or five nights a week occasionally to the point of blacking out. And he worried that he'd said or typed something that he should have kept private in text messages and he was just started to suspect that people were posting embarrassing videos of him online even though he couldn't find anything on Facebook. Hmm. So on top of this, then he'd start taking Suboxone, which is an opiate, in his dorm room and he'd sleep for days. He'd snort Adderall and Focalin and stay up all night watching YouTube videos and working on screenplays, which this, this is setting this the stage not for. <laughs> it's,
0: <laughs> right? it's not like the powder keg yeah. that this is. It's not
1: like one day I woke up. It's like they're right. setting the stage for some serious psychosis here. Right. So he starts believing that, you know, whenever he clinks on links on BuzzFeed or posts comments on Reddit, people are tracking him. So he in the I mean,
0: he is. He's not wrong there.
1: Right. I, that's where we're getting to. That's what's so <laughs> fucked up about these some of these disorders is right. it's like not that bizarre. Right, right. So in the springtime he returns home and one evening his his mom finds him taking apart the thermostat looking for cameras. Hmm. Around the same time, lots and his sister had plans to attend a jam band festival in western Michigan and his parents told him that he could attend the f- the concert if he agreed to enter a rehab program immediately afterward. Lots ends up taking Acid and Ecstasy at the okay, festival, yeah. as you do. Uh-huh. And right here, this is when it all started to become clear because the headliner at this jam band festival was the Dave Matthews band.
0: <laughs> so I, on Acid and Ecstasy, that's when things get really clear. Yeah.
1: Get real clear. Yeah.
0: Because of Dave Matthews?
1: Yeah. So, Lots wedges himself closer and closer to the stage, and he hears these lyrics that just seem eerily appropriate. Too much. No. <laughs> One year of crying, and the words creep up inside. Let's, let's let Dave Matthews say it himself. Yeah. yeah. Out. So suddenly, hearing that song.
0: <laughs> Wait, what was. Did I miss lyrics that were.
1: One year of crying and the words creep up inside. You can't hear because it's him going, One year of crying and a burn back. Anyway, that affected him. I'm not going to judge him for why he liked certain Okay, I'll just accept that. (laughs) Accept it. So suddenly, Lotz solves the puzzle of his life, and since starting college, he discovered that he had been the star of a reality TV show a la And that was supposed to be the finale, because the words were speaking right to him. All he had to do was call his dad, who'd find him in the crowd, lead him on stage, and present him with a check for a million dollars. However, Lotz was too strung out to place the call. So the next day, he flies to rehab.
0: Whoa! <laughs> so, so he's like, does he then at that point at rehab think like the show's still going because oh, yeah. I didn't do the finale?
1: Well, it didn't help that when he went to rehab, a counselor explaining the rules of the program said, "We're all going to be watching you." Oof. So, Lots thinks this is an explicit acknowledgement <laughs> that he was the star of a show that was being broadcast live all day and night. What
0: a fucking leap! <sighs>
1: Drugs, man, psychosis. Right? Yeah, he's
0: theoretically sober in this moment, though, right?
1: I know. I mean, I'm not gonna be like super judgy about it. No, guy no. Who's, like, I'm just, I'm just trying about, to understand,
0: like, yeah. you know, the state of mind.
1: I feel like there's probably already some psychosis, but because I read that mm-hmm. schizophrenia generally jumps up between when you're like 18 to 30 or yeah, something, like yeah, there's yeah. It's a in time the early 20s So usually. it's like that, coupled with crazy hallucinogenic drugs, right. not sleeping, opiates. It Doesn't surprise me at right. all. Rather so then than he, thinking he was right. Jesus
0: Christ, he right. thought he was this
1: exactly. Own show. So he gets out of rehab and he returns to college for his sophomore year, and he decides to embrace being watched by millions of mm-hmm. people. So he'd leave his laptop open, allowing cameras to zoom in on the screen. Just he'd in class, he'd like smile, like uh, he'd like grin, basically letting the audience know that he's in on the joke.
0: I gotta be honest, I was doing stuff like that too, but on a really small scale. Totally.
1: I I mean, where I was
0: just like, I was like for fun, kind of for myself to entertain myself. I would like perform when I was alone for the theoretical cameras of Truman Show.
1: I can't tell you how many like acceptance, like Oscar acceptance speeches I've given in (laughs) my life. Like this is, that's what's so weird about this. These stories is like this bizarre line between mm. genius and insanity or just being an artist and being insane right because then he starts to enroll in acting in public speaking courses to become a better performer and I'm like I've done that too
0: <laughs> yeah but you're not doing it to perform for the theoretical audience that's watching you hundred percent of your life yeah
1: maybe not to the exact degree that Mr. <laughs> Lott is level, I'm very aware yeah, of yeah. people you know right. it's like in my in my adulthood I've become less self conscious of people because mm. once you really no one gives a fuck about anybody but themselves. It's like right, they're not right. looking at you. <laughs> right. But as a kid, I was like, oh, got to do the right thing, you know, mm-hmm. so I could understand that. But around the same time, so there's this guy, Joel Gold, who for nine years was the attending psychiatrist at Bellevue Hospital. And he's trained in neuroscience and psychoanalysis. And in 2002, he treated several young, educated men who shared a peculiar set of symptoms, and specifically men. I don't know why, but but one of these patients, he suspected that the September 11th attacks had been a plot twist on his TV show, so he traveled the country to Manhattan to see if the Twin Towers were still standing. Another guy. Whoa. Yeah. I,
0: but the plot twist being for... For what, like to him specifically? You I think know, getting like,
1: trying to get too much into why. I know, like,
0: like when I when I really try like, to break it down and be like, so how does that right. affect your personal like, story in the narrative?
1: Yeah, I and mean, like, it, it, it sounds like it some of the treatments yeah. for these people. It's like, well, show me the cameras, but right, right. For the sake of the story. Right. It's like, no. Don't try too hard. To yeah. Another guy reported that all his friends and relatives were actors following a script. Another guy had actually worked on the production team of a reality show until he concluded that the show was actually about him. Okay. Some of the patients compared their experience to the Truman Show. Like Within two years, Gold had interviewed nearly 50 patients Mm -hmm. as a result of all of this. So in 2012, he and his brother, a philosopher at McGill University, this is Gold, the psychoanalyst's brother, they published a paper in Cognitive Neuropsychiatry describing this form of psychosis, which is that the patient believes that they're being filmed. Of course, they named it the Truman Delusion. And what's cool, though, what I liked about it is that Gold has previously said that all productions of the mind have meaning to them. And to disregard any content, no matter how psychotic it is, seems to be a miscarriage of what the discipline was founded on. So Hmm. he he worries that where some psychoanalysts, they just rely on like drugging the disorder away or like drugging the delusion away. He at least wants to listen. And what's cool is he kind of breaks down that there are both biological and social factors that contribute to psychosis because there's an international study on psychotic symptoms and they they found that the mind supplies the contours of the delusions, but culture fills in the details. Hmm. So like grandiose schizophrenics, mm-hmm. like we were talking about, from largely Christian countries, they often claim to be prophets or gods. Mm-hmm. But sufferers in Pakistan, a Muslim country, rarely have those same kinds of things.
0: That's fascinating.
1: Studies have shown that residents of cities are have a higher risk for schizophrenia, as do immigrants. Psychotic people are several times more likely than non-psychotics to have been sexually abused, etc. So there's a lot of reasons how these things start to form. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that if you're already having these kinds of issues, then you see something like The Truman Show and you're like, it validates basically everything that I've been feeling.
0: Right. I I actually looked a little bit into The Truman Show Delusion and one of the quotes that I saw about it was that... It was kind of like every age gets the lunatic it deserves. Totally. And that like in the age of TV and cameras and everything, we get people who think that they're being watched for entertainment or any other reason. I've seen it described as like in the 40s, psychotic patients would express delusions about their brains being controlled by radio waves. Totally. Now it's, it's like, oh, they've got computer chips yeah. implanted in It It's like head.
1: the Japanese were mm-hmm. controlling American minds with radio waves. Mm-hmm. The Soviets accomplished this with satellites. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, the CIA was planting computer it's chips It's the technology of
0: the day. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So so yeah, technology is like the driver of all of this, but the human brain has evolved to have a vigilant threat detection system. So if that system becomes oversensitive, that's the result is paranoia. Uh-huh. So like a delusion of grandeur might represent a paranoid person's attempt to feel less vulnerable. Remember I, at the beginning of the story, I was explaining that Lotz was starting to feel like people weren't responding to his texts. Mm-hmm. He felt like a loser. So, you know, like nuthouses in France were full of people who claimed to be Napoleon Oh, because... Presumably, he's the least vulnerable person they could imagine. So right. Truman delusion, it's just kind of like rather than becoming Napoleon, you become a famous version of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It does That leap kind of makes sense. I mean, I was reading about this concept that's kind of related to this called pro mm-hmm. which I thought was a pretty interesting and awesome idea. It's basically the opposite of paranoia, and it's having the sense that a conspiracy exists to help you, not hurt you
1: that's a good uh, delusion to yeah have.
0: right it's it's defined as like the suspicion that the universe is a conspiracy on your behalf
1: Wow that, that's interesting because I guess I assumed that paranoia was you assume that everybody's out to get you but I right. didn't know it was that explicit that mm-hmm. like that you could be paranoid specifically about like people trying to fuck you up right as opposed and, to them just being aware or right like, no no, no. it's
0: know. like yeah there's like they're conspiring against you or they're conspiring for you yeah if, if you had pro noia would that make you more comfortable with your life
1: right like would you be like super self-important
0: yeah like i don't know how it would affect me if i really felt like everybody was around me trying to help me yeah you know what i mean Huh. Like, like would I be yeah. just would I just relax? I'm
1: curious also how that plays into other like narcissistic
0: uh-huh. or
1: you know just kind of like ego related things because that sounds different certainly than just like I I am full of myself. I think a lot of myself, it's like, no, everybody's out there to try to just make my day a little bit nicer.
0: That's cool. When it comes to like the way the brain works when it comes to conspiracy theories, Mm -hmm. I read about this study that was recently published in the European Journal of Social Psychology, which basically says that a lot of people who love conspiracy theories and are prone to believe them are doing it Basically for attention.
1: Oh, okay. Like for their... Okay. I'm
0: excited. You know, it's like believing in conspiracy theories fulfills a need for uniqueness. Yeah. And if their beliefs are different, then they are different. And so they've figured out something that the majority of others haven't Uh with the conspiracy. And in the study, when people thought a conspiracy theory was a minority opinion, they were more likely to believe in it.
1: Oh, God. Duh. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, and it certainly seems in line with this with any kind of paranoia, right? Mm-hmm. With, like anything that it's about you and like somehow you know. Right.
0: And, well, this uh, uniqueness thing, it's even like to somebody who like first finds out about a new band before everybody else. It's like <laughs> it's like you're like you're yeah. unique because you know about it and then when it becomes like the majority Mainstream, opinion, then you aren't unique anymore like, so basically- and so you know, God.
1: So every angsty teen is just like a conspiracy theorist in the making? Exactly.
0: <laughs> I was
1: listening to NoFX well before they exactly. came Exactly.
0: And it's like that same <laughs> part of your brain that does that is the same thing that makes you want to believe in a conspiracy.
1: Totally makes sense.
0: 25% of the participants of the study still believed a made-up story even after they were told that it was false and made up by the researchers. Ugh. So it was like even more likely that they would believe it than when they're being told like, nobody believes that. I know. Because we made it up.
1: I I really wanted to make a just like trump voter joke, but I'm like, nah, it's
0: just (laughs) But
1: it's that. It's that.
0: (laughs) But the thing is, like, with you know, with all these like you wanna believe it because it's false, like maybe that's just what they want you to think. You know what I mean? Like maybe they want you to think
2: that that conspiracy
0: theories are bogus and you're just wanting to be unique, you know?
1: Well, and that's what's interesting, because like we'll get back to lots, like eventually just an antipsychotic comes into the mix, but I wonder mm-hmm. what these varying degrees like, right. all people that believe in conspiracy theories or any kind of conspiracy theory, they're not all cuckoo cachou. They're not right. all schizophrenics. So it's interesting to know, like, the level of how you would treat. Something like that. Well, bringing it back to lots. so in his mind, the producers had invented this wireless speaker that went into his head and okay. they used it to feed him lines and critique his performance.
0: Okay. So... <laughs> are these voices he's hearing? That's right. Uh.
1: Producers' voices, Jeff.
0: Oh! They
1: informed him that the audience could hear his thoughts. So they'd say things like, make sure your thoughts are entertaining.
0: Fucking Jesus. Dude,
1: I know. I mean, it, it really, at first it's easy to be like, you fucking idiot, but then you're like, oh my God, Make I sure feel your
0: thoughts are entertaining. Yeah. Like, what kind of pressure you'd feel? Exactly.
1: Every few days, the producers issued a new challenge. They'd say, like, no food for three days. What? After failed attempts, he eventually did that. They told him to exercise regularly. You have to look good on camera. So he loses 50 pounds. Whoa. Once they woke him up in the middle of the night and ordered him to stand on one leg, saying, America doesn't want to watch you sleep. It's boring.
0: Whoa, man. Ugh.
1: So, cut to Lot's getting diagnosed with delusional disorder, persecutory type.
0: Mm -hmm. Persecutory type. Even though he's the the star of the show, they're
1: persecuting him, telling him he has to lose weight, Mm -hmm, that kind of thing. mm -hmm. So the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or DSM, has long stated that a delusional disorder is characterized by one or more non-bizarre delusions that persist for at least one month. So the original okay. version in 1952 divided delusions into two categories, bizarre and non-bizarre. Bizarre beliefs are those that can't possibly be true. Non-bizarre, the opposite. does. So I am dead is bizarre. Millions okay. of strangers are obsessed with me is not bizarre. Mm. Yes. So DSM-5, which is the first major revision in 19 years, came out in 2013, which is the year this New Yorker article was written. Mm. And for the first time, the chapter on psychosis no longer emphasizes the bizarre, non-bizarre distinction. One of the reasons this is, is because of the shift in technology. Right. Now, like... What
0: was once bizarre is now not.
1: Exactly. This rapid expansion of technology raises questions in determining which delusions are possible and which ones are bizarre. Mm. In 2005, the New York Civil Liberties Union canvassed Manhattan and found nearly 4,200 security cameras south of 14th Street. Right. South of 14th Street. <laughs> and given the recent revelations about NSA and domestic surveillance, it becomes harder and harder to discern what is implausible and what is plausible. Right. Even reviewing the film The Truman Show in 1998, Jonathan Rosenbaum was expressing skepticism, saying, you know, given the number of undramatic moments that fill Truman's daily life, are we supposed to believe that millions of spectators are taking all of this in and you're like if big brother gives us any idea you know there's so many shows that (laughs)
0: totally yeah i mean whether it's video game let's plays like you name it people like watching people doing boring things absolutely like half of the podcasts out there just like unedited conversations of two people just shooting the shit about science
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, and maybe at the time, it yeah. seemed like it was just outrageous. And I'm sure at the time, it probably seemed outrageous to me too. But I mean, even think like in 2003, there's this guy, Matt Gould, and he signed a contract to appear on The Lap of Luxury, which was supposed to be a show in which contestants would live in a Los Angeles mansion and compete to win $100,000. But in fact, Gould was the only competitor. The show was actually called The Joe Schmo Show. Oh, So remember, everybody else was an actor and they didn't tell him until the final episode when they're like, I actually- you're the only star they gave him a bunch of money he like pumped his fist and then crumpled into a pile of tears and then he said he was all fucked up after that
0: yeah why would you how can (laughs) you you get over an experience like that you would think that so much crazy shit is happening around you all the time
1: yeah and you know to me it's 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 not necessarily a judgment because it seems like maybe people at the time are like nobody cares about what people are doing if anything i'm kind of it's a breath of fresh air to know that we are truly just interested in other people's stories. You don't need the fear factors and the eating bugs and the, you know, getting naked and shit to like be the thing. It could just be watching humans behave. I feel like, Twitch and all of this shit is a prime example of that like I know yeah. you're watching the game but you're mostly watching the person just be themselves yeah
0: I think it's about like being you know we've talked about this concept before that podcasts and Let's Plays and stuff like that kind of offer this friendship that you don't have to really have mm-hmm. where you, you feel like you're around your funny friends mm-hmm. and you're not actually you're alone in your yeah, apartment but, but, but you're
1: not isolated from society Right, and, and like what,
0: what you like is like these genuine moments that mm-hmm. are just that aren't like scripted comedy but are just like people hanging out talk shooting the shit about video games or whatever it is. Totally.
1: So it's like there's that and then there's people who <laughs> develop these crazy yeah. delusions because okay, so then by the fall semester of Lots's junior year, he feels imprisoned by fame. Right? He tries okay. to drown out the producer's voices. He sits at his computer and writes stream of consciousness journal entries for 12 hours at a stretch. One night he wrote, I don't know if it's basic cable or just cable, and I can't really understand jokes. I just kind of laugh. I guess it's what being an idiot feels like. And the words ran on for 52 pages.
0: Whoa. So he's, Whoa. Yeah.
1: So he's desperate for help. He starts writing to 200 actors and directors, including Judd Apatow and Tina Fey. Okay. He writes, I'm currently stuck in a mind control loop. My career and life are in ru- ruins. So he considers hiring a lawyer so that he could dissolve his contract, even if that meant foregoing prize money. He'd imagine that he had this contract. Right. He was taking notes in Spanish class saying there's no amount large enough to make me do this anymore. Like he's going mad. Wow. Yeah. So because then like the sh- the premise of the show shifted and it was less of him trying to win a million dollars and instead him supposed to be joining the cast of Saturday Night Live. Whoa. So then he starts doing open mic nights around town. Wow. When he couldn't get on... I know, exactly. It's like <laughs> there's the motivation where I'm like, I've done open <laughs> mics around town. No. So then when he couldn't get on stage, he performs without an audience in a parking lot. Well, who cares? He's subway. got the millions
0: of people in the TV. He's got, you know, he's he's got in the his audience dorm room. anyway.
1: His roommate's asleep in the dorm room and he's doing stand-up there. It's just... Like watching this man descend into madness had to have been like horrifying for everybody around him. But then one Thursday night, a producer's voice told him, it'll end if you go to New York. So he books a flight for New York the next morning. He makes it to Rockefeller Center. He goes, he says that he needs to see Lauren Michaels. (laughs) The security guard says, you can't go inside. So he waits around for a little bit and then he just fucking leaves. So then, eventually, in 2010, sees a psychiatrist at UCLA Psychosis Clinic. Wait, at, he just
0: he just left, didn't? I mean, similar to up. the
1: to the Dave Matthews thing, it's like he's crazy, crazy, crazy. Feels like this is a thing, but then he's like, I failed, and then he leaves.
0: Okay, right?
1: So it, like it reaches ahead, and then he leaves. Finally, he he goes to this psychosis clinic after the producers told him to do it, and he gets an antipsychotic. And then you know, after a while of not taking it, because at first, you know, you have to. T- Eat in order to take these pills, right. and he can't. He has to lose weight for the producers. So oh blah blah goodness. blah. Eventually, he admits that he hears voices. He takes the pills, and then on the morning of November tenth, twenty ten, he wakes up for the first time in two and a half years and was alone in his brain. So now he lives by himself in Long Beach, and he finds it helpful to view his brain's excesses as amusing, not alarming. And he says this quote: "Whenever some eerie coincidence happens, there's this part of my brain which jacks itself." All of a sudden And spazzes out Exclaiming This is it What they were always talking about It's happening They were watching me Except now it's kind of Reassuring in a way People care They're paying attention I matter I don't actually But it's nice of my mind To tell me I do Wow
0: wow (sighs) what a story that's a guy who's actually like looking at his life
1: he's looking at his life and then he's also it's gotta be a bizarre like he was saying these bizarre coincidences because that article is published in the New Yorker
2: right people
1: are starting to look at him he was starting to get attention and so it's this weird reconciliation between fully acknowledging what his delusion was and then still be like having these moments where his mind is like but people people are sharing your story Yeah. yeah isn't that nuts that
0: is nuts yeah Man, what a life to live and then like get to this place where it's like, I now know that all of that was a delusion and I now am amused by it. Yeah. And I continue to live.
1: And also, but like there's this still this tone of sadness of being like, I don't matter, but it's nice when my mind tells me I do.
0: Well, that's the thing is like, you know, we're all searching for to have meaning Meaning, in our lives. And, you know, like I was reading this quote recently that was basically like. You know, the idea that anything that we do in life is meaningful is ridiculous. Totally. Like, and, and so just do things and you'll enjoy your life and like, and take it for what it is.
1: 100%. It's like you have to establish and find your own meaning in life. There mm. There is no meaning. Nobody cares that much about what you're doing unless right. you're Beyonce, I guess. Well, yeah. But <laughs> schizophrenia does affect approximately 1% of the population. So it's oh. not...
0: One in every hundred people. Yeah. So wait, I actually read a couple of stories of Truman Show Delusion Was this guy not the one who climbed the Statue of Liberty, believing that if he reached the top, he would be released from the show? He
1: was not the one. Wow. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of fucking people that came out of the woodwork with this thing. Yeah,
0: I I read about this other story about a dude who believed that there was a director controlling aspects of his life, just like this guy. And so when he found the keys to a truck hidden in the visor of an unlocked truck, Mm -hmm. he thought that he was supposed to, like, joyride and just stole this car just started joyriding around the city. He's
1: like, I gotta go. He's it's like, oh, the they thing. put
0: this here for me to to enjoy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, if somebody thought that the Twin Towers did not actually fall and it yeah. was just a twist in your show, I'm like, doesn't surprise me. Somebody be like, I'm gonna climb the Statue of Liberty.
0: Yeah. What? Man. What a weird, (laughs) that's the thing that, like, the question that I know that they're not asking that I'm asking is, like, so how does that play out on that show? Like, what, so the show's about you, and then this unrelated thousands of people are killed by a terrorist attack, and, like, did you do something after 9-11? Like, did anything, what was your life... Why? What? How does this twist play out? He was probably
1: asking the same question because he's like, "This is my show. Why would they? Why would they knock the towers down? I'm gonna drive to. I'm gonna go to Manhattan to see if they're still there because.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) I did read that after hearing about the condition, the Truman Show delusion, the writer Andrew Nichol said, "You know, you've made it when you have a disease named after you."
1: Cheers to that, man! (laughs) Cheers to that.
0: So in 1998, in Japan, a TV show slash human experiment began. After winning a lottery for a, quote, show business related job, a comedian named Tomowaki Hamatsu, Mm -hmm. better known as Nasubi, which means eggplant in Mm -hmm. Japanese, was challenged to stay alone naked in an apartment with nothing but a bunch of magazines filled with sweepstakes to write into. He was stripped naked, thrown in the room that just had a bunch of postcards in it. The producer said to him, can a man live on winning sweepstakes alone? And he laughed and they closed the door. What? And it got dark. It got really funny, but it also like really, really darkly Ugh. comedic. First of all, what makes this one of the most amazing things in the world to watch, at least to me, is is Nasubi himself who, who is incredibly expressive and has an amazing face. Mm-hmm. Whenever he wins anything in the sweepstakes, even something completely useless, he's so overjoyed and it shows in a way that's like so entertaining to watch mm-hmm. that like these primal moments of highs and lows of right. like what will come and then it's something that's meaningless and he's like so excited that anything came but mm-hmm. then like so crestfallen when it's when it's nothing that he can use. Did they not feed him? Well, that, okay. okay. He, at first, he lost a ton of weight mm-hmm. because he didn't win food for a while. Eventually, he won a small bag of rice. And so he lived off of just rice for a while. When like he not ran even out of cooked that, rice, probably. Oh, he didn't even have a pot, pot to yeah. cook it in. Ugh. So he had to, like, figure out this complicated way to cook the rice. And then even then, he was like, I haven't figured out how to do this to make the rice not taste terrible. Jesus. And, like, eventually, he wins some dog food. And he just lives off of dog food for weeks. Oh. <sighs> And the whole thing was streamed live on the internet with an eggplant blocking his dick, which is why he's named Nasubi. Oh
1: my god. (laughs) Too winky for such a dark, dark experiment.
0: But each week, the highlights were shown on this prank reality show called Denpa Shonen. And at the time, this, you know, this is definitely not cool, but he thought that he was being recorded so that the show would come out later. And he didn't know that this was like a huge sensation happening for the year and a half that he was in this apartment.
1: What? Year and a half?
0: Year and a half. So. <laughs> Unreal.
1: Unreal.
0: You know, there's these times where, like, he's so excited anytime the doorbell rings, and so often it's basically something dangling a carrot that he can't eat in Mm -hmm. front of him. Like, at one point, he wins a fucking TV, but then he sets it up and realizes that there's no antenna, and he can't use it for anything.
1: Oh, man.
0: (laughs) On the other side of that same coin, like at one point he wins a package of jam and the sugar flavor of jam is so overwhelmingly amazing to him. Like watching him eat it is like, just like I said, it's this primal mm-hmm. thing to experience. Like he hasn't eaten in weeks and he mm-hmm. he gets like strawberry preserves mm-hmm. and it's like, it's fucked up. It's um, so <laughs> I'm, not fucked gonna, up. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. You have
1: this like evil smile on your face well, because, and I'm like, ah. Because the thing know. is,
0: like, like, there's so many hilarious specific things that happened to him, like, finally winding underwear, but then it's too small for him to wear. Right. You know, right. like, I could list all these things for a long time. L- let me, let me g- explain a little bit more about what happened before I explain my feelings on this okay. whole
2: thing.
0: <laughs> Which I appreciate. It's like, because it, that's the thing. It's like, this is both the most fucked up thing in the world and I think the most amazing thing on another level. Mm-hmm. After 335 days... He reached his million yen in earnings goal, Mm -hmm. which is about $10,000. They open the door, they blindfold him, and they take him to another location in Korea where they unblindfold him and reveal an incredibly similar small apartment, and they tell him to get naked again. So he gets naked again, and now he has to win enough money through the sweepstakes to buy a ticket back to Japan. But this time it's in Korean, which he doesn't speak and he's given And this a, is after a year and a half this is after 335 days. So th- like the whole year and a half is like includes this.
1: And he only got
2: $10,000.
0: Well, no, no, no. no. Okay, okay. No. That's that's like what he has to win in order to be released of this from, the thing. Uh, from Understood. this contest. Understood. And so he's given a a Korean to Japanese dictionary and he sets out to do it again. And he does. The whole time the show is breaking records for viewership in Japan. He wins the Korean thing. They go in and they blindfold him again. And they take him to another location, which looks like a third tiny apartment. And he immediately gets in, sees the, the apartment, just takes off all of his clothes. Right. He, they don't even he's ask like, him to it. do it. He's just yeah. like, this is what happens now. But in that moment, as he sits down and starts writing out the sweepstakes for the third apartment, all the walls of the apartment fall away, revealing that he's actually on a big stage in front of a huge live audience who just go nuts. And it's all being on live TV. And he's just there naked, naked blinking at the bright lights, having no idea what the fuck is going on, and not even knowing that he had been on TV yet at all.
1: Not right.
0: And everybody's just going like,
1: Woo! You did it, man! You
0: did it." it! And he's just like, What is happening Everywhere. i was
1: flashing back to that Black Mirror episode. It's where, just like yeah. that.
0: It's exactly like where that. she doesn't know. But God, it's the real it's so deal. Gross. And oh. it's like in this moment. And he's just looking around. And he's like, where am I in a room filled? with he's like, my house disappeared. And like he doesn't know what to make of any of it. So what happened? Well, he had written diaries every day. And the diaries were kind of like the meat of the show because they were used to narrate his thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like the producers would like narrate from the diaries and then it would explain like what he was thinking and like the highs and lows he was going through. Those diaries were then published as a book and became a bestseller in Japan. Now that's like, he's seeing money from all of that. You know, it's not like he, you know, but they put this guy through a truly insane experience. And while yes, it's fucked up where reality TV can go and what people will put themselves through. And I've described all the fucked up nature of this Mm -hmm. without really expressing the comedy of it. Mm -hmm. And like the, like on a certain level, I kind of think that this is like a pinnacle of humanity. Mm -hmm. It's like when society gets to a point where you're seeing if somebody can survive on sweepstakes for entertainment, it speaks to how far we've come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, is that he was not a prisoner. Mm -hmm. He, the door wasn't locked. He was able to leave at any time. This Mm -hmm. is like purely his choice to be a part of this experiment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I thought it was hilarious.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't think that your points are incorrect. I, I, and yeah, I, it's somebody signed up to do these things. I have no idea what he thinks or like what kind of, Mental illness he gave for himself, living in a tiny apartment.
0: Well, that was the thing. Not it's eating like, yeah, <laughs> anything the, <laughs> but
1: rice for a year and a half, dog food. I just, it's not. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't get the comedy of it. I didn't see the funny things that happen, but I. Well, that's I'm, where it's I'm like, more it's, morose about it. like that. That it hurts because well, you hear about star, that yeah. and
0: you. And, but like that's where I said like what makes it entertaining is him himself mm-hmm. like. His human reactions to this inhuman situation is so entertaining. Like it's not just entertaining; it's like it speaks to a a truth about humanity. I'm pretty fucked up for thinking it's funny. It's like a really dark thing. But I would recommend if you're curious about this, they edited the whole thing down into two two two-hour-long YouTube videos, Mm -hmm. and so you can watch the whole thing and actually see like where the comedy's coming from. And I
1: do find the point well, it tells you how far we've come because we're doing that. Right. I suppose it does tell you how far we've come in some ways, right. but it does tell you how we've degraded in some ways too, I would I would say. I just feel like, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think that it's clear cut. I don't think it's black or white, which is why it's...
0: Well, let me say like in this specific case with this specific show, I thought that it rode the line between terrible and hilarious in a way that was like, Remarkable. Mm-hmm. But the same show later did things that were just fucked up and mm-hmm. not funny. Yeah. And the you know, so what actually happened was the Japanese government cracked down on torture themed TV shows. Oh, sure. And this show got canceled. Sure. In the process. Because they, they were really like, it, this is just one thing that they did mm-hmm. that I think is like like on the good side of this terrible mm-hmm. angle. Whereas the other things were like really fucked up and mm. just torture things. And they were like going towards like Saw, you know? Yeah.
1: Because I also, I mean, I think why I'm stuck on this is this idea of choice and like what that means. Because I feel like, sure, everybody's able to sign up for what they're what they're signing up for any of these game shows it's like people do it for money they do you right. know so i think right. that already there's there's a a weird line when you when you that you walk between that kind of truly giving your consent and then like the exploitation side of it well and i guess it's
0: where i think of like like some pranks are mean-spirited mm-hmm. and some pranks are like you can laugh about it mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. and and there's a fine line mm-hmm. between those things that's why
1: i think it's so fine because even mm-hmm. with that joe Schmo show. I mean really right. the guy won money at the end he signed up for a game show right, but right. he didn't know that he was the only one and that yeah. everybody else was there. What's his name Homoshi? Nasubi. Nasubi didn't I mean I He can't didn't am- know
0: the the thing that I'll definitely agree with like is just fucked up and not okay is like being broadcasting the v- entire yeah. thing Without his knowledge Right Like right. that's I'm not gonna sit here And be like yeah. That was okay I, thi- <laughs> I think
1: that's Like the the part That's like mm-hmm. disturbing Because exactly. it's like I'm not as disturbed By fucking you know Real housewives Who are right. just being idiots And like sign up to be idiots Or even the real world Where it's like You know They're giving you alcohol And hot tubs For you guys To just fucking be silly Like right, right. there's so many things That they do to create The actual show So right. it's not reality
0: Well that was Another element of this Where it's kind of like Nobody knows how real The Nasubi thing was because if they felt like Nasubi needed to win or he'd, like, try to leave the show or something, they could just drop something on him and pretend it was this in one in the sweepstakes. Yeah, and they wouldn't so have like, let
1: him die. I yeah, mean, I'm they not, wouldn't I'm not have,
0: saying that. Yeah, no, no, no. But they, I don't think they gave him many breaks. Yeah. You know, if it was... If they did ever mess with the actual experiment of it, like... <laughs> you know I don't think that they really helped him out much some of those
1: fucking Japanese game shows man although I will say well, my, my, my brother and I were watching I saw an f- awesome clip on Facebook it's called uh, Slippery Stairs oh I saw
0: this it's amazing <laughs> it's see like that's the thing it's like, it's like different the though. good side <laughs> of this is amazing yeah. and like and that's where it's like before Nasubi the show did another thing that was also pretty amazing but also fucked up where like these two people like went to a country that they didn't know and were supposed to hitchhike across Europe yeah and like they almost starved to death and stuff like that totally yeah but then after nasubi i read about this really fucked up thing which i think led to the government cracking down on these shows where it was basically like people four people were like watching a baseball game and if each person like was rooting for a team and if their team won they got to eat dinner
1: yeah, it's I, like
0: that's not funny. Right. That's just fucked up and torturous and like and like the Nasubi thing, I really think, has more to it because it's an exploration of humanity than just asking the question of, like, what will somebody do to themselves for mm-hmm. fame? Mm-hmm. Like, I really think there's more to Nasubi than that. Mm-hmm. But this just seems like they were taking it. They were like, where can we go? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, can we make this the Truman Show? Yeah. Can we go to Saw? Totally. Like there's mentioned? there's
1: always an upping the ante of that. And that's why I think I just really try to toe the line between neither being super judgy about the idea of right. people watching other people because that that's just where we're at. Like reality TV shows are not going anywhere right. anytime soon. So I've kind of made my place, my piece with that. Cause mm-hmm. at first, even with like American Idol it's like, what is this shit? Right, so you're just right. gonna have a fucking game show for right. pop stars. And now I'm like, well, that's alive and well. And here we are. <laughs> and there's plenty of pop stars that are, that are manufactured from it. And I can have my feelings about it, but it's yeah. The, the, I certainly agree with something like Truman show or Nasubi being studied in media ethics courses yeah. because I think it's absolutely something, wh- however you end up, I just think someone needs to think about it. That's cr- I couldn't imagine being one of these producers.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Well, th- like, another thing about Nasubi is that he's become a meme. Uh, yeah. like Like, you may have even seen his face and not known that it was from this experience. Probably. Because, like, he's so expressive. He's so fun to watch mm-hmm. as a person anyway that, like he's become this huge meme today and people don't even know that it's from this show
1: remember when girls gone wild was just like the thing <laughs> oh, like man. we've got an inside look at what girls do and, <laughs> oh, and the reason yeah, the reason yeah. why it was so big was it was so voyeuristic it right. felt like you're seeing something that like you're not supposed to see right and now everything is voyeuristic yep. i mean even like porn now it's like they got the webcamming and the who's it's and what's it's but, it's mm-hmm. all about and I'm thinking Truman show
0: is to blame. <laughs> you're like and I'm thinking of getting involved. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no. I'm I'm not nearly entertaining enough.
0: Oh yeah, your thoughts have to be entertaining.
1: So we've gotten pretty heavy this uh, this episode. <laughs> yeah. And you know I said at the beginning that Norman Rockwell's paintings were big Inspired inspiration of the
0: movie. for yeah. the art mm-hmm. design
1: and everything makes sense. Mm-hmm to look into Norman Rockwell. I really don't know much about him, except for you know, I know that he's he captured small town America in a Wholesome, way that no one did. And, mm-hmm. You know, he's one of the most adored painters of his era. But he had some cool shit in factlets that I'm going to give oh, you.
2: Really,
1: born in 1894. At age 14, he began taking classes through the New York School of Art, and within the next year. So at 15, he joined the Esteemed Art Students League, which is where Georgia O'Keeffe and Maurice Sendak also went. Oh. And he hadn't even turned 16 when he received his first paid commission, which was a set of four Christmas cards requested by a neighbor. Then at 18, he was hired to paint a dozen illustrations for a children's book, Tell Me Why, stories about Mother Nature. And this is what helped set him up for this job as a staff artist and eventual art director for Boys Life magazine. Which, yeah, he started working a boy's life before he was even 18. And then He he was just a boy. Yeah, he was just a boy himself. Living life. Then once he was a man, he (laughs) tried to enter the Navy during World War I, but they initially rejected him because he was 17 pounds underweight, so he bulked up by eating bananas and donuts.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A lot of
1: sugar and bananas. Donuts I get, but I guess it's the sugar and bananas? I never thought of that as being very (laughs) heavy. But so he eventually gained enough mass to meet the Navy's requirements. His first military assignment involved painting insignias on airplanes at an Irish base. Really? That was his first job, but when he was on his way to Ireland, his ship was diverted to South Carolina. That's where he was recruited as an illustrator for the Charleston Naval Yard's official periodical, Afloat and Ashore.
0: Uh, oh, sure. You know, <laughs> avoiding the battles and just
1: you know, what? If, I would love to have been the war painter. Like I'm, be over here, just yeah. doing my craft.
0: Or the cook, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. there's all these like roles in totally. the army that are not. But they were just killing. like you, kid. You talent. <laughs>
1: yeah. So his, his work first graced the cover of the Saturday Evening Post on May 20th, 1916. So he was 89. So like 22 or something. Okay. Fuck. And he ended up staying with them with the Post until 1963. He did 323 memorable covers for them. Uh, that was his big thing of getting like okay. out and about. But then he also had a lot of workings with the Boy Scouts of America. I guess it maybe makes sense from his connection with boys' life or what. I'm not sure. But in 1939... Anything
0: wholesome. You yeah, know, totally. Boy, boy Scouts, boy Scouts, are, Scouts wholesome. are wholesome. In
1: 1939, the Boy Scouts, they they officially handed Rockwell a silver buffalo, which is the organization's highest award, before 3,000 onlookers at Manhattan's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Because even by that point, he'd already been painting heroic Boy Scouts on canvases for like 30 years. Wow. In 1939,
2: you're like, wow.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so then... On January 6th, 1941, FDR gave this historic State of the Union Address, and it was like with the Axis powers looming, and he was saying that everyone in the world deserved to enjoy freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. So it's these four freedoms, this address that struck a chord with Rockwell, and then that's why he created this quartet of paintings that portrayed these ideals, and that's supposed to be like one of his most famous projects mm. that I didn't know about. But what was cool is they, they published the paintings in the Saturday Evening Post, and and then the government set the originals on tour where like over a million people could see them. And in the process, they helped the government sell nearly $133 million worth of war bonds from Rockwell's paintings.
0: Well, he did his duty he as a patriot. He did fucking
1: duty. <laughs> he sure did. All three of Norman Rockwell's wives were school teachers. Oh. So he weird. likes them learned. and <laughs> Wait,
0: <laughs> That was another question that I was going to ask at some point is like, how Norman Rockwell was Norman Rockwell's life?
1: Right, exactly. You know, it's
0: like three wives. And, yeah.
1: Well, there's a, the, yeah, three wives. The, yes, they were school teachers, but he definitely struggled with depression because his second wife had an alcohol problem. So that forced them to move from Arlington, Vermont to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, which is where he, you know, that's where he spent the, the remainder of his life. His wife received therapy from psychoanalyst Eric Erickson. I think Eric Erickson is supposed to be like a big famous one. I've
0: heard of that name. And then I'm is like, am I just making
1: name? that up? Because or
0: you're, I don't, I don't know. know. I
1: don't know. I don't. Yeah. Who knows?
0: <laughs> Maybe I was you of a you Eric Erickson. Who
1: knows? There's a lot of Eric, like Lance Erickson. Let us know in the, the red. I don't know. In the
0: reviews on iTunes, if you <laughs> yeah. could just let us know what you think.
1: Yeah. So, so his wife's therapist sometimes would do sessions with Rockwell, who I guess like would enter in these like bouts of depression and whatnot. Hmm. In 1977, he was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Gerald Ford. He praised him as an artist, illustrator, and author whose vivid and affectionate portraits of our country and ourselves have become a beloved part of the American tradition. I agree, I guess. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. I don't because, but I don't know a lot of these works. Like when I think, I of, when I think of Norman Rockwell, I think of like house, countryside, whatever. Like I, I think
0: of like a father bouncing his kid on his knee in front of a fireplace. Right. Like, just like the most wholesome image, you know, with the snow falling out the window. Well,
1: that that's what I think I've thought of before too. But then there's also, there's like a painting of Ruby Bridges, who was the first little African-American girl who went into the desegregated schools. Okay. So there was some progressiveness yeah there's some progressiveness there like one of his most poignant paintings is he did in 1961 it's called the golden rule and it shows an international and multiracial crowd standing in unison behind the words do unto others as you would have done unto you and it was he did this around the time that he had been reading up on comparative religion hmm. and was saying like maybe they don't all say it in the same way but basically all religions say the golden rule is something to live by
0: yeah it sounds like a lot of his paintings were kind of like idealistic views of what humans can be and should be and not representations of what humans are yeah perhaps right
1: i i guess i to be honest like i don't know enough about his painting like i didn't i i feel like i would want to see more of some of the stuff he did for the boy scouts or like look Mm -hmm. at some of the saturday evening posts because i feel like all it's also being like our age it's all what people have said about norman rockwell they say norman rockwell Specifically to refer to like the Pleasantville. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: He's the official state artist of Massachusetts because he ended up living there for a big part of his life. And finally, every year on the first Sunday in December, Stockbridge, which is where he was living, Stockbridge goes to great lengths to stage a real life copy of his 1967 oil painting, Stockbridge Main Street at Christmas, meaning that they even bring in antique cars that perfectly match the illustrated counterparts. And luckily, with few exceptions, that town is largely unchanged since Rockwell's day.
2: That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. And that's so he's sweet. an
1: American treasure. An American treasure.
0: <laughs> Did you have any favorite lines?
1: I had a couple of favorite lines. One of them they said in the trailer yeah. and it was we accept the reality of the world with which we're presented.
0: Yeah. And, and that um, was
1: I believe one of Christoph's reasonings as to why this was okay.
0: Well it was really why Truman doesn't Just escape, yeah, is like we're present, yeah, and I think that's very true. Yeah, one of my favorite lines was, or it was not a favorite line, but it inspired a little bit of research, was when they say. The Truman Show is like the biggest studio in the world and along with the Great Wall of China, one of two man-made objects visible from space. Oh,
1: right, right, right.
0: But the Great Wall of China is not really visible from space. Is it not? Well, if you're really, really, really low orbit on a really, really, really perfectly clear day, you can kind of see it. Oh,
1: like in an airplane No, level? like it, from, from, I think it's from space? the International Space okay, Station,
0: okay. which is really low Earth orbit. It mm-hmm. that, that got me thinking about that where it's like visible from space is an interesting term, thing, term like what does that but mean? it's like what does it mean mm. yeah like visible from from just space or mm. from the moon or just from outside Jupiter of space, a little bit farther. Th- what if you have a telescope on Jupiter was right. that visible <laughs> from space but there are some other man-made objects that are visible from space like there's a gigantic canyon mine in Utah there's an expanse of greenhouses in Spain. But greenhouses, mm -hmm. because
1: I was gonna say, I was like, I feel like the main things you can see from space is like Mother Nature shit. Like, I can see the Grand Canyon or maybe that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't imagine that's like,
0: yeah, this thing in Utah is a canyon mine, and so it looks kind of like a natural formation Mm -hmm. that's a little bit unnatural because it's like a mine, right? Right, but yeah, the greenhouses in Spain is like they cover the whole big section of the country, and
1: oh, okay, that makes sense. They're like reflectivity, landscape mm, looks okay,
0: you see like all these this white white splotches yeah. and that's man-made objects from space but Great Well of China not so much True. or kind of maybe a little bit
1: <laughs> so that means you definitely can't see the Truman Show soundstage
0: <laughs> if you're if you're in the International Space Station don't go looking for
1: okay it. my final favorite line it isn't always Shakespeare but it's genuine it's alive, life and that speaks to your point in terms of Nasubi I guess yeah that's the thing it's life not Shakespeare, Shakespeare. <laughs> Nasubi is definitely not Shakespeare but eggplant dick.
0: it is life it yeah. is human, mm-hmm. and with that, <laughs> God,
1: yeah, man, lots to whew. sign of the times. Sign of the times. Thanks for joining, everybody.
0: Let us know what you think in the reviews on iTunes and on Facebook and Twitter at Oh That's a Thing.
1: You can find me at It's a Joya Mia on Instagram and Twitter.
0: I'm at Jeffrey Ekman, and we will see you all next week for the movie Short Circuit.
1: Short Circuit. I short-circuited, did you?
0: (laughs) I really did. I (laughs) I remember this movie being better than it was. So look forward to that.
1: See you guys soon. Bye. Bye.